Well, church, would you stand with us as we uh, read the word of the Lord this morning? We'll be in Isaiah chapter 25 uh, today, reading verses 6 uh, through 9. Um, I might have it 6 through 10 on the screen. Yeah, 6 through 10. Um, I'm reading from the New Revised uh, Standard Version, and it says this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on this day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation, for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Let's pray. Father God, we are standing here in your presence this morning, and we thank you for your words uh, spoken to us. God, we thank you for, for, for the scripture that you have given to us. God, we thank you for the way that your spirit is at work um, in your word, bringing it alive to us. And so this morning, as we hear from you and as we dive into your scripture, God, we ask that we would know you guiding, directing us, Lord, that you would be the one who would be speaking to our hearts. Lord, that for each one of us here in this room, God, the things that we need to hear from you, God, the, the words that we need spoken, the encouragement, uh, God, that we are longing for from you. We pray that each one of us, the people to our left, to our right, in front of us and behind us, would experience the, the beautiful touch of our, our God with us, present with us in all we're experiencing this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to have a seat. Well, in the context of, of thinking about tables and the launch of tables coming up at the end of this month, uh, we wanted to uh, uh, have a little standalone message where, where this morning, Larissa and I uh, both came and talked to you about the banquet life, the banquet life. Um, but by way of contrast of thinking about the banquet life, let me, I just wanted to bring forward this question. Um, have you ever been served a terrible meal? You're just shown up somewhere, and what was placed before you, just by the sight of, you completely lost your appetite. Yeah? Anyone ex- experience that? Larissa's family um, and I, we, were, we had, took a road trip um, to Larissa's next youngest uh, sister's wedding. Um, at the time, the family was living um, in Idaho, and we drove all the way to North Carolina for, for the wedding, and then on the way back, we thought it would be great to, to actually go a little bit higher up in uh, the 48 states and go to um, see Mount Rushmore. And as we did, we were, so we were driving, all that to say, we were driving for quite a, a while, and um, as we're getting into Wall, South Dakota, it's, it's later in the, in the evening, and everything is closed. 
I don't know why this is the case, but have you ever realized that so many tourist cities have, have their downtowns closed at like 7 p.m.? And you're just trying to like scratch your head, why in the world is this the case? But we're looking around for food everywhere in Wall, South Dakota, and the only thing that is open is a Mexican food restaurant in Wall, South Dakota. Oh no, <laughs> oh no is right. And we, and we step into this restaurant and it's just, it's barren in the restaurant. And then there's That's a- That's never a good sign. No, it's no never, one else never there. a good sign. And, and we step into the restaurant and there's a salad bar that's there. And so you can, that's part of the option that you can order is from the salad bar. And, 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 and so you choose the salad bar and you go, as you go closer to it, you realize it's just lettuce that's been sitting out all day long and one cherry tomato. And we're just looking over the menu, trying to figure out what in the world are we going to order. And, and it come, you're looking down things and go, well, they've got a chimichanga. That's difficult to mess up because you're throwing tortilla in, in just like, in just oil, right? You're frying it, so at least there'll be some flavor that's there. We order the chimichangas, and they come to our table, and they place it down, and it is a, I kid you not, it is a microwaved burrito. That was Mexican food in Wall, South Dakota. The context here of Isaiah 25 and the passage that we just read, the context that's happening here is that God is first introducing us to what we're calling the city of death. It's it's an environment where the food is just absolutely, it's, it's bitter. It's disgusting, and people are famished. Let me read to you a little bit of Isaiah chapter 24, because this will get you clue, clue you into the alternative table that God is providing for his people. Isaiah chapter 24, starting at verse 4, it says this. It says, the earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish together with the earth. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth dwindled, and the few people are left. The wine dries up. The vine languishes. All the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the timbrels is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No longer do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is broken down. Every house is shut up so that no one can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has reached its even eventide, the gladness of the earth is banished. The, the descriptor here before we read in Isaiah 25 is that there is, this is a city, there is no joy, there is no song, there is bitterness, there is unfulfillment, and there is an air of ruthlessness that has just completely spread over this city. 
Yeah, and so in this context, the, the poet, um, prophet here, Isaiah, um, is giving language to a reality um, that was not only true thousands of years ago, uh, but it's a reality that is, is true today, right? We don't have to look very far around us um, to see that the, this, the shroud of death that Isaiah 25 talks about is, is present in the world today. Right? You, you look around and you see that the, the goodness, the tove that God uh, declared when he first created the heavens and the earth, um, that, that something has gone terribly wrong. Right? That the, the goodness that was meant to be in the world around us um, has, has broken down and been corrupted or oppressed by like this, this blanket of, of heaviness and darkness that weighs over the earth. And so we see, we see broken relationship all around us, broken relationship between uh, humanity and our creator, broken relationship amongst humans, right, on a, on a global level, a national level, um, within cities, uh, within families, interpersonal relationships that, that have, have broken down. Um, even our relationship, humanity's relationship with creation itself, has, has broken down. You hear that in Isaiah 24 of, of the way that the earth has been polluted by its inhabitants, right? This, this way that we haven't cared for uh, the earth the way that God envisioned. And so, again, something isn't right in the world as, as the poet prophet here is describing for us. Um, something is, is drastically wrong. Um, and we don't have to look very far to see its effects. So it's in this context, right, that, that we live in a world and what we are offered is a soggy, bland, microwaved burrito. And God's response to us feeding that to one another is to say, let me offer you a table. And it's, and it's the table that has come to be called the Messianic Banquet. Let me read this to you in the opening verse here. Um, well, Isaiah 25, verse 6. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. When I was growing up, my family, um, we lived across the country from where my grandparents were. Um, so we didn't get to see them very often, but we would see them um, every Christmas time. And my, my dad was a pastor the whole time I was growing up. Um, so Christmas Eve for us um, was usually pretty busy. My dad was getting ready for a Christmas Eve service. Um, my mom was trying to get 12 kids ready for Christmas Eve service. Um, and so my grandma um, each year offered to make Christmas Eve dinner for us so we would have, so my parents wouldn't have to worry about that before we headed off to service. Um, so every year my grandma would make um, her clam chowder. This is not because anyone ever told her that we really loved clam chowder. <laughs> this was just what grandma offered, um, what she brought to the table. Um, but each year, something happened to this clam chowder. It was like each year the clam chowder got um, more and more watered down. 
Um, there was less and less chunks of, of meat or potatoes, um, less and less cream in the soup. I mean, it was, it was like a very watery, not, not much of anything that was enticing to a whole bunch of kids. Um, but this is, this is what we got on, on offer for Christmas Eve. Um, here in this, these verses in Isaiah, we, we read of, of a feast, a banquet that God um, lays out for us. And it is not, um, it is not just a, a watery soup that will, that will quench our appetite, right? This is a, a feast that is described in terms of, of richness and lavishness, that there is... Um, rich food filled with marrow, right? Like this is something, something hearty, something that you can hold on to, something that's going to fill you. Uh, this is the, the prophetic picture that we get of what God is promising to do to not only literally fill his people's bellies with good food and good wine, but figuratively that, that God is going to provide um, a, a lavish feast of abundance for his people, that where we have experienced lack and dryness and, and maybe a watery clam chowder, that God wants to step in and just overload us um, with a feast, a feast that God has on offer for us, that we would be able to experience the nature of God's kingdom as we come to his table as he feeds us good food and good wine. Practically speaking, that here at God's table, we will experience uh, weaknesses shared, that as people come together around this table that God has set, filled with good things, that we can share our weaknesses and we can have our needs met, that we'll experience a people that can know us and we can know them. There'll be welcome, there'll be joy and celebration and laughter, where the vulnerable are all cared for and not exploited, where there's unity in place of division. There's wholeness and a vibrant life on offer at this, this table, this banquet table that God has provided. There's this parable that has been told in, in different varieties across, across different cultures, and the earliest uh, form of it I, I could at least discover um, through an internet uh, deep dive is, was told by a rabbi. And the, the allegory or parable goes like this, that, that a person is brought into this banquet hall, and there at this banquet hall is a lavish feast that is spread in front of, of the guests. Um, but something peculiar is, is at place there is that all of the, at the table settings are these massive spoons, these massively long forks. They're like three feet to five feet long spoons and forks that are sitting there at the table. And, and the people around this, this lavish banquet spread are, are, are withering to death. There, there's no joy, it's bitterness, it's just, it's just the absence of any kind of joy or gladness that they're at this table. And then the person is brought to another room where it's the exact same spread. There is just lavishness, there's abundance that's spread all around this table, and it's the exact same scenario in which these, there are these incredibly long, these ridiculously long spoons and forks and knives that are at the table, but the people around this table 
seemingly in the same setting, are, are filled with laughter. There's joy. The people are plump. They're just, they're, they're fulfilled. And there's, there's song and, and there's excitement and there's a buzz around the table. And, and then the person that's brought to these two tables are told that here's the difference that's happening between these two tables. The first room that you saw was a people that have been attempting to feed themselves. And it, is, it has been impossible. Try as they might, they are unable to be fulfilled. And the second table, they have discovered that in order to be fed, that they must be feeding each other. What's, what's described for us through the prophet Isaiah is that, listen, humanity, try as we might, apart from God, we have been unable to satisfy. We have been unable able to fulfill and to bring fulfillment and joy to this world. And, and the imagery that's given to us is that in him and through him and by him, do you notice the language? It says that all peoples will be at this table. And that though we live in this, this shroud of death in the world around us where there is marked by hostility and division, that what you'd get portrayed here through the prophet Isaiah is this table where all peoples are now sitting together. That it, and, 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 and then you could also maybe in your own mind, in your own imagination now begin to, to, to think about like passages in the book of Revelation where we're told that it is all tribes, nations, and tongue that will be gathered together. And you think about in, in Acts chapter 2, when the early church is described, the culture and the environment of the early church is described, it is no wonder that the church is described as a people who gather around the table. That the church is a people that have learned to, to gather together. Have you guys ever seen a child with their comfort blanket? And that comfort blanket is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> like, it is filled with stains. It stinks. And they just love to be wrapped up in that blanket. And try as you, we never have experienced this in our own home, but try as you might to convince this child there are so many other blankets that I can give you, they are determined to hold on to their comfort blankie. You tell them, I can wash that thing for you, let me just hold on to it for a little bit, but no, they love their blanket. And Isaiah describes to us that humanity loves this blanket. And God has, and the stories uh, that's told over and over again in the pages of Scripture is that God is regularly showing up to have feast, to have meals, to, to, to abide with his people. But for some reason, even though there is this regular invitation to sit at the Lord's table, humanity is determined to go back to their comfort blanket. Yeah, and so something something goes wrong each time, right? When God um, comes to be with his people, we, we, we do something. Something happens that, that causes the, the feast that's described here to not be fully experienced. 
Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's an um, a Old Testament scholar, um, he writes of this passage and of this, this shroud of death that Isaiah talks about. He says that death is all that circumscribes a life, that limits the life space of humanity, that diminishes well-being, and that prevents community with human people or with God. That is who death is. Everyone knows about that power of diminishment that we cannot by ourselves resist. And now the news. God will swallow death like a great sea monster attacking a smaller fish. God will attack this marauding beast and take it in the jaws, crush it, chew it, reduce it, eliminate it, and perhaps spit it out. It is no wonder that in his Easter lyric, the Apostle Paul can quote, death has been swallowed up in victory. And so we get these verses here in Isaiah uh, 25 verses 7 and 8, where he gives us this picture that he, God, will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken." God is promising to destroy this, this blanket of death, this, this, this thing that diminishes life, that robs the goodness that God had created in this world, that God is going to destroy. And the way he is going to destroy this is by swallowing it up, by, by taking into his very self our death and destruction. He takes into himself our ruthlessness and our culture of death and hopelessness, the shadow that hangs heavy over our lives and over society around us. That which envelops us, he takes into himself. All that constricts and distorts life, he takes that on. He does this for us, swallowing up death. This is Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion when he cries out to the Father and asks that this cup would pass from him, but not his will, but the Father's will be done. This is Jesus choosing to take this cup and swallow, to consume, to take into himself the death that we have caused he swallows the cup. He swallows up death for us. To be invited to the banquet life, to be invited to the Lord's table is this simultaneous action that's taking place, right? That, that, that the Lord himself is drinking for himself the cup of death, and he's offering to us the river of living water. And, and our response, right, to come to the Lord's table is, is, is that a very real decision is being made, that we are saying that I've got to intentionally make this choice where I am going to be leaving that, that, 
blanket of death behind in order to sit at the Lord's table. If you've been invited to a table before, maybe sometime you've come over to somebody's house, and maybe one thing that they'll tell you as you come into the house is that, hey, can I take that coat from you? And so you can come and sit at the table. And that same invitation is given to us by the Lord, that to come into his house and to sit at his table, he's also simultaneously telling us, let me take, let me take that shroud from your shoulders. And so to sit at his table is to take this posture in which we no longer wear that jacket of death. That what, what we actively are, are pursuing and what we're actively hoping that the, that the Spirit does amongst us is that he would be removing from us the ways that we have learned to live under that shroud of death. And so to sit at his table with his people is to say, I am going to learn a new way to live at this table one of the things that regularly happens at our dinner table is that Larissa is regularly teaching the boys, and by extension me, what table manners are, right? You sit at the table together, and it's like, no, you shouldn't eat mashed potatoes with just your hands. And I respond, but it is so much more fun to do that. You get to experience the food as you bring it in, right? No, but there's something about sitting at a table with people where you recognize that, that there, are, there is culture that exists around any table that you sit at. And when the Lord invites us to a table, there is a culture that exists at his table. And the invitation that, that he gives to us and the work that he does in us is to remove the shroud of death. Do not bring your selfishness to this table. Do not bring hostility to this table. Do not bring your division to this table. Can we just talk about that, that November is coming and there will be an election that will seek to divide the church? And we are not to bring the elephant and the donkey to our table. Because we learn that there is a new culture that exists at the Lord's table. To be invited here is, is to be this place where we come and we turn to the Lord and say, I don't want to wear that jacket anymore. I don't want to wear that anymore. And if there is any identity that I bring to this table that separates and divides, I will, I will remove that. And, and the words from the writers of the New Testament specifically, are clothe yourself in Christ. Strip off anything that entangles you. Be clothed in Jesus. And then, so what happens is this table, the table of fellowship, the table of, of God's beloved community, the messianic table, is a foretaste for us to experience for the rest of the world to witness, this is what the Lord is bringing into the world. The church becomes a, a, a picture to the rest of the world. This is the table that God offers to humanity. And the beautiful news is that we don't have to wait 
to experience that. The invitation to us is that now and not yet promise. Now, now experience the fullness and the beauty and the abundance and the richness of God's table. And as you do so, there will be hope that gets stirred within you because you realize, man, the best is yet to come. There's a, a community in, um, in Germany, it's called Bethel Community, um, that is one of the oldest and um, I think at this point largest, um, largest care community in Europe uh, that cares for those who are mentally and physically disabled. Uh, it was started in the, the late 1800s um, and a pastor called Friedrich von Bodelschwing um, was leading this community. It started with um, about 1,600 uh, boys who were epileptic. Um, and this community formed to, to care for them. And then over the years, it grew uh, to become really a, a whole town um, where there, at its center there was hospitals and care homes to care for um, any person who had physical or mental disabilities. And this, this town grew up where all of the caregivers um, were living there. There was agriculture, there were, um, there were shops, there were schools for children, there were homes for orphans. It really became just this, this beautiful Christian community where people's needs were practically met um, and those who the world often discards were embraced as, as of high value. And when um, Pastor von Bodelschwing died, his son, who was also Friedrich von Bodelschwing, um, took over caring for this, this home. Um, and this was, or this, this community, this was in 1930s Germany. And so as the Nazi party um, came to power, um, here you have this, this little beautiful community where, where people are cared for and valued, um, and weakness is held up as, as something beautiful that we should come alongside and care for one another. Um, and the surrounding country around this community was one that began to value power and strength and ethnic purity. And in this season, um, not only were millions of Jewish people killed, um, but there was some quarter of a million of mentally and physically disabled children and adults who were so-called um, mercy killed, right, euthanized uh, by the Germans. And in this country of death, here existed this Christian community that lived a counter-cultural way of life where power and strength were not what was held up, but weakness and vulnerability and care. And the people who cared for this community um, went toe-to-toe -to -toe against the Nazis uh, to keep this community um, from being euthanized. And the, the weight of this, um, that just after World War II ended, um, Friedrich von Bodelschwing actually passed away. Um, they think maybe just sheer exhaustion um, of what he and the community faced during those war years. But here we have this beautiful picture of this, this Bethel community. 
this, this alternative land in the midst of a city, a country of death, a place where the, the shroud of death was, was heavy. And the, the people of God were living in, in such a different and unique way mm-hmm. that there could be a, a taste, a, a community of heaven in the midst of hell on earth. In the spring, um, as a church, we talked about um, that we believe that, the, that we are to pursue and to, to live in this church plant kind of mentality. And when we talked about that together as a community, we said that, hey, as we think about our vision of following well, loving well, serving well, we want to think about it in, in, and, and live that out with some rhythms these rhythms of discipleship. These are the ways that we believe that the Lord is forming us and shaping us as a community. So we talked about that, that to follow, that there are these two rhythms that we want to see lived out, is that we would be a people that just, we're with Jesus. We would, we just love to be with Jesus. And we're going to find practices. We're going to find um, ways in which we just try to, to participate just in the life of Jesus, to, just to be near him. That, I mean, just like, I just want to sit in the presence of Jesus. And we talked about that, that also following is that we're not seeking to follow our own ways, but we're just seeking to follow Jesus and his ways. And so we want to see, um, why am I blanking, the below the surface change, right? We want to see, not, we don't want to just act like good Christians, <laughs> Right? We try and try and we will fail, but we want to see a below-the-surface change happen in our lives where the Lord is giving us new hearts and desires. And we talked about that when we want love well, we talked about it with these two rhythms that we, would, that we would be a people that just have life together, that we would learn what it is just to, just to be around one another and enjoy each other's presence, and that we would be a people that have radical welcome. And what that might look like is that we are going to go and we're going to welcome people that just we might not normally be drawn to. And we're going to go out of our way, not only to, because we can have life together with just, and, and select the people that we have life together, but, but we believe that the Lord is calling us to a radical welcome where we would sit at tables with people that we might not normally sit at tables with. And we talked about what does it look like serving well is that we would, that we would be people that are striving to, to, have, to be uh, naturally supernatural. We believe that the Holy Spirit is, is empowering not only people individually but his church to live in the world in a way where we just know that we're in this conversational type relationship with God where we just know the Holy Spirit is empowering us in our everyday living. So as we sit in the, the pickup line um, when, when school ends and we're waiting for our child to get, get dismissed and, and, and other parents are zooming through the parking lot or whatever it might be, like we're just, we're, no, we're naturally supernatural, that we believe that the Holy Spirit is with us even there. And that we would also be people that live missionally. Missional living was that last rhythm. That we believe that the Lord has a mission in the world and that we are called to join him in the good things that he's already up to. Why bring all that up? Is to say is that as, as what we, what we want to lean into as a community, the efforts that we want to be about, the gatherings that we host, the events that we sponsor, whatever it may be about, we want to lean into those rhythms. And we want to continue to lean into those rhythms. 
And we believe that as we lean into those rhythms that the Lord is causing us to be that foretaste of what he's doing in the world around us. That as we lean into those spaces that the Lord really is forming and shaping something here that would be a witness to the rest of the world that this is what I want to build amongst my people. Yeah, and the beautiful thing is that the, the church isn't meant to just be a billboard that declares like, hey, God has this amazing feast, this amazing banquet that he wants you to be a part of, this, this vibrant community where there is life and fullness. No, God doesn't just put up a billboard. Instead, he creates a community. And he, he planted a community here in Sarah Mesa so that Sarah Mesa can experience heaven on earth. And that is what God wants to build in and amongst us for the sake of the world around us. The, the sign that we have out in front that talks about here in San Diego as it is in heaven, right? That, 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 that's what we're meaning. That's what God wants to do in us, in our lives, to, to create a banquet life in place of, of the city of death where there's a shroud of death. God wants to plant a banquet life where we're filled and transformed by all that God has to offer and where we welcome everyone who God would bring into this place so that they too can experience this life together. So on September 27th, we are going to launch tables. And um, listen, I'm the, the real desire, belief, hope is, is that the Lord builds his church around a table. If you read through the book of Acts, it is evident that what the Lord does is that he, he forms a community, and he does so regularly around a table. And, and, and the heartbeat here is, listen, we can do things like Bible study. We can do things like looking through the Lord's Prayer. We can do things like have a men's group or a women's group. And, but, but the soil in which we do those things really matter. And we believe that, that let's not, I don't want, I want to just use, I, I'm going to use the phrase, but I, I'll just say I wrestle just saying it this way. I don't want to just do Bible study. But I, I want to do I want to do Bible study. I want to study the Lord's word, and I want to do it in the context of this soil where we enjoy each other's presence, where we know one another, where it really matters the culture of our table as we study scripture. The culture of our table matters as we work through the Lord's prayer. The culture of our table matters as we have men's group. The culture of our table matters as we have women's group, right? Like, and so as we talk about tables, it's this place of saying, man, it's intentional that let's intentionally start our time together where we just set aside, set aside time to have dinner. We set around, sit around and laugh together get to know each other. Because what I'm continuing to discover is I will become like who I behold. I will be formed in the shape of who I love. 
And so it, it naturally what takes place is that those that I love, I will start to become like. Those that I enjoy the presence of, I will become like. So I need to actively make the, 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 the decision to gather around the diverse body of Jesus so that he, I might experience the multifaceted expression and, and nature of who Jesus is. So tables, just really practically speaking, September 27th, we're going we're gonna to be doing an eight-week uh, time, and there are going to be four tables that we're going to be um, hosting um, the tables are, and they're on our website, by the way, faithsandiego.org. Um, our tables are, there will be um, a Bible study through the book of Mark, an inductive uh, Bible study through the book of Mark, hosted by Elizabeth Pipkin. Uh, there will be a fellowship group um, that will be hosted by Stan and Joanna Dawn, uh, a table for people just to gather together and, and be around that table together to have uh, life-type um, questions. What do you growing on, what we're growing in, how are you, what are you reflecting on. Um, there will be a men's group that will be exploring joy. What is joy? Um, how, do we, how do we bring joy to the people around us? How do we live in joy? And that men's group will be hosted by Danny Clem. And then there will be a video slash discussion group on the Lord's Prayer that will be hosted by Ken and Judy Calvert. And what we just... Um, invite you into is that you go to our website um, and you will see the, um, the, the first night there, it'll say uh, tables, and there'll be a form that you could fill out that just lets us know which table might you be interested in joining. Um, so like I said, that starts on September 27th, but on September 20th, we're going to just start off with a party. And we're going we're gonna to come into this space and um, the staff is going to provide a feast. And we're just going to sit around tables, and we're just going to start by getting to know one another, sit around the tables, and just be able to enjoy um, one another's presence. Yeah, the reality is that this, um, this banquet life that is described for us here in Isaiah 25, it is not a single-serve microwave dinner. <laughs> Right? It is not something that we just come to Jesus and we get our serving of Jesus. No, the table that God provides is a banquet table that is vast and large and that is meant to be filled with many peoples. We do not experience the banquet life by ourselves sitting on our couch. <laughs> Right? That, that is not the way God has designed for us to be fed. He has designed for us to be fed, to feast on him together in community. And, and that can happen in a variety of ways, but we want to experiment together um, around tables on Wednesday nights. Um, but another way we experience that is, is as we come to the Lord's table, what um, has often been called communion, that we come to the Lord's table that he has set before us, a table that is open for all who hear his invitation, a table that is set before us where we feed on the very life of Jesus. 